Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 through 40 is where we're at today. Let me read that for you. You follow along in your Bibles. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we, sh- we must go and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me. And I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said... It's a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord our God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites and to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Who went before you in the way to seek out the place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. And the Lord heard your words and was angered. And he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephna. He shall see it. And to him and to his children, I will give this land on which he has trodden because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones, who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. We thank you, Father, for the truth that is in your word. God, we know we can trust it. We know it is faithful. We know it will not let us down. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be present among us today. God, please work. Please open our eyes to see who you are, to see that you can be trusted. God, help us to take steps of obedience in our own life today. God, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We pray for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you'll allow me, what I'd like to do uh, for about five minutes is just give you kind of a sweeping context of this passage. One of the things that um, I have noticed in in preaching through the Old Testament is we've got some folks that have been studying the Bible all their lives, and and they kind of right away jump into Deuteronomy, and they know what's going on, they know what's happened before, they know what happens afterward. We've got a lot of folks. I had a guy in the 830 service who came up to me afterward, and he said, thank you for doing what I'm about to do here. He said, thank you for doing that. He said, man, it really helps me to kind of get a frame of reference of where this is at in the Bible. Okay. So that's what I'm going to do for you. All right. So 
Uh, book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, in chapter 12, God appears to a man named Abraham. Abraham lives in, in a foreign nation called Ur. He's minding his own business. God appears to him, and God makes these huge promises to Abraham. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea. Now, this is really amazing because at this time, Abraham's about 75. He's got no kids, okay? And so, big promise here. And then God makes maybe the biggest promise of all. He says, and Abraham... Through your family, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he's talking about that through Abraham is going to come the Messiah, the King, Jesus, later on, okay? So, God makes these promises to Abraham. Well, at age 100, when Sarah, his wife, is 90, they do have a son, okay? A baby boy names him Isaac, all right? So now the promises are going through Isaac, all right? Isaac has two sons, twins, Jacob and Esau. The promises go through Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, all right? Which would later become the 12 tribes of Israel, the beginning of the nation of Israel, okay? Now, of these 12, Joseph was his favorite. Parents, quick lesson here, it's not a good idea to have favorites among your kids, okay? That just does not work out well. They don't take that well. Uh, Jacob has a favorite. It is Joseph. He gives him a coat of many colors. He, he brags on him to the other brothers. Why can't you be more like your brother Joseph? Well, that didn't go over well at all. In fact, the brothers try to kill Joseph. When they don't kill him, they go ahead and sell him into slavery. And so Joseph gets taken to Egypt. His father thinks he's dead. His father is brokenhearted. Joseph is in Egypt. He starts out as a slave and then he becomes a prisoner, even worse. But then God raises him up miraculously to be the prime minister of Egypt. Second command only to Pharaoh. Now, at this time, there's a famine in the land of Canaan where, where uh, Jacob and the, and the other sons are, the nation of Israel. Well, they're starving to death. They travel to Egypt, not knowing that Joseph is in control there. They travel to Egypt, hoping to buy food. Joseph brings them in, delivers them, saves the nation of Israel from famine, and they stay in Egypt. Well, that's all in good until Joseph dies and the Pharaoh dies and a new Pharaoh comes on board and says, Hey, who are you guys, you know? And he enslaves them. So he enslaves the nation of, e of Israel for 400 years, 400 years. However, they were not idle in that 400 years. They were much like our 5th Street campus. They were really good at multiplying, okay? And so they were very fruitful. They had lots of kids and uh, just boom, baby boom for 400 years. And they grow into a mighty nation, okay? A mighty nation. And God sends a man named Moses. You may have heard of Moses. Moses before. God raises up Moses. Moses goes into Egypt. He delivers God's people out through miraculous plagues. Things like uh, the Nile turning into blood and darkness coming upon the land and hail killing all the cattle and, and flies and, and just, just all boils. All these plagues. God delivers the nation of Israel, his people out of Egypt, out of slavery and leads them to Mount Sinai where God gives the Ten Commandments. He gives them his law. And then he leads them to the edge of the promised land. He says, all right, my children, all right, nation. All right, Israel, here is your land that I'm giving to you. This is the land that you're to have. This is my plan for you. And they say, great, great, God, but there's already people there, you know? And God, God says, that's all right. I'm going to give it to you. You, know, you. you just step forward. And they're like, well, God, let's send 12 spies to check it all out and to see what way we need to go in and stuff. So they send 12 spies. Well, 10 spies come back saying, you know what? God was right. This is a good land. It's a good land. I mean, it's awesome. It's incredible. But, it's a big but, but this is a bad idea. This was a mistake. God tricked us. 
Okay? These people here, they, 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 are the, they are the ancestors of the NBA. All right? They are tall. They are big. They are giants. Their cities are fortified to the heavens. There is no way we can do this. We can't do it. It's a bad idea. It's going to be destruction. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. Well, two spies, a guy named Joshua, a guy named Caleb, said, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. God will give us the land. God will deliver us. All we got to do is step out in faith. All we got to do is, is head into the land and God will take care of it. He will deliver us. He will fight for us. Well, they believe the majority, which is not always a good idea. Democracy doesn't always work. In this case, it did not. Uh, they voted. It was 10 to 2. They believed the 10 and it was a disaster. Okay. Basically, what happens is they go into a 40-year timeout. Okay? Sometimes God spanks his kids. Sometimes God sends them in time out. Okay? In this case, he sent them into time out. And it was a 40-year time out in the wilderness okay? where they literally did nothing but wander around for 40 years until that entire generation, except Joshua and Caleb, died off. Okay? And then they come back to the edge of the promised land again for the second time, 40 years later. And Moses preaches what we now have in our Bible as the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, so that is the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is Moses' sermons to the second generation who's at the promised land for the second time. The first generation blew it. Second generation is about to go in. And so Moses preaches a series of sermons, which we have in our Bible as Deuteronomy. This is all right, guys. Let's not do the same dumb thing that we did last time. Okay, let's let's believe God. And that was exactly the problem the first time. You know, when you might ask the question, okay, what happened? What was the mistake? How'd this thing go so tragically wrong? You know, you might say, well, they, they didn't obey. Or, well, they, 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 weren't, they weren't courageous enough to go to battle. You know, they, they, they didn't go into the promised land. They wanted to go back to you. There's all kinds of things we could say would be the mistake. But you know what the Bible says the problem was? This is, this is key. So hear, hear this out. Verse 32. Here's what Moses says the problem the first time was. It says, yet in spite of this word... You did not believe the Lord your God. You did not believe the Lord your God. My friends, I would like to tell you this. I would like to make this statement that I believe is consistent with the entire Bible. The root of every sin, you can trace it back, every sin in your life, the root is going to be unbelief. Okay? You know, if you're in the habit of confessing your sins, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, hopefully one of the things that's in your spiritual discipline, your daily discipline, is that you, you have a habit of confessing your sins. Whenever you sin, whenever you lie, whenever you cheat, whenever you steal, whenever you're angry, whenever you lose your temper, hopefully, as a believer, the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin, and, and, and you confess that to the Lord. You're like, Lord, that was wrong. God, I don't want to live that way. And God, I, I pray that your blood, the blood of Jesus, would cover that sin. But in the midst of your confession of sin, you know what's a really healthy thing for you to do? A really healthy thing is for you to begin to connect the dots between your sin and a root of unbelief in your life. And what you're going to find is you can always connect the dots. Okay, It's always there. You know, Let's say that you lie about something. Let's say you were supposed to do something. You didn't do it. And, and the boss catches you. And he said, hey, did you get that done? And let's say in the, in the weakness of the moment, you lie. Okay, Well, you sinned, right? Can your sin be forgiven? If you're a believer, you can come to the cross. You can, you can ask forgiveness. God will indeed forgive your sin and cover it with the blood of Jesus. But what you need to do is you need to connect the dots. But why did you lie? Well, you lied because you didn't trust God to take care of you. You didn't trust that it's better to be righteous before the Lord and to, and to receive the consequences of your action 
than it is to face the consequences of whatever that, li- whatever that mistake would have brought into your life. There's always a root of unbelief in your sin. Whether the sin is adultery, whether it's, it's uh, slander, whether it's gossip, whether it's materialism, whatever it is, there's always a connection to unbelief in your life. And that's exactly what Moses tells the people. He said, you didn't believe the Lord your God. Now, what didn't they believe? Well, let's kind of back up a little bit and, and kind of look at this particularly or specifically. Look in verse 25. Here's the first thing that they did not believe. Verse 25, this is Moses speaking. He said, they took in their hands some of the fruit. He's talking about the spies. When they went into the land, they took the fruit. By the way, Numbers tells us that when they, when they brought the fruit back, the cluster of grapes was so big that it took two men to carry it. Can you imagine that? I mean, this is a good land. You know, you don't get those kind of grapes at Walmart. You know, I mean, this, this, is, this is wow. You know, I mean, this is a good land that they're, they're getting, okay? The fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and brought us word again. And they said, it is a good land that the Lord, your God, is giving you. Okay? Now... One of the principles of the scripture is this. And man, if, if you miss this, I'm telling you, you you're not going to go anywhere in faith, okay? One of the principles of the scripture is this. What God gives is good, okay? God is good and what he gives is good. In other words, God has a good plan. God is drawing you to himself, okay? God sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins that you might be in his family. And that plan is good. God is leading you to a good place. His plan is good for you. All right. The Bible, the New Testament tells us that Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. James chapter one, verse uh, 18 or 17, 17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven, from above, from God. So, so the Bible is very clear that God is a good God and that what he gives is good and that Jesus is good and that Jesus in your life, you following Jesus, you yielding to Jesus is good. In fact, the Bible describes Jesus in ways that tell us, man, Jesus is good. The Bible says that he is the bread of life. What, what is that? Well, we all know what bread is, right? We, we like it, especially when it's in the form of donuts, okay? And, 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 and it's good, okay? We get that. And so when it says Jesus is the bread of life, then you know what that's saying? He satisfies. He satisfies. He's what's going to fill you up. The Bible says he's the fountain of living waters. What does that mean? He quenches our spiritual thirst, okay? He's the resurrection and the life. He, he's all of those things. He is everything we are longing for. He is our creator and all that he does is good. Even his commands are good. A lot of times when people think of the commands of God, they think of, oh man, something on me, something I've got to obey. Man, that's not the way the Bible looked at it. Psalm 119 verse uh, 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The psalmist says, man, your word is sweet. Verse 127 says, therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Your commands are more valuable to me than gold. God's commands are good. His Holy Spirit is good. His transforming power is good. His righteousness is good. His resurrection is good. His comfort is good. His plan is good. His sovereign will and his rule over your life they are good but here's where things begin to go wrong when you and i or the israelites begin to doubt that what god has is good that's what happened here they come into the land they see that it's a good land but they also see that it's full of canaanites it's full of nba players you know giants anakim goliaths fortified cities big walls thick walls And in verse 27, they changed their mind. And here's what verse 27 says. And you murmured in your tents and you said, because the Lord hated us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't it interesting how how people can look at the exact same circumstances in very different ways? 
They say because the Lord hated us and he brought us out into the land of Egypt and he's given us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. That's interesting, isn't it? Moses says, man, God's here to bless you. God's giving you this land. God's carrying you. God's taking care of you. And the people say, no, man, God's brought us here to kill us. God hates us. He doesn't like us. He's trying to destroy us. Do you think that ever happens today that people look at the plan of God and they don't think it's good? Man, every day, every day. God's plan for you is holiness. Did you know that? In the Bible, it says very clearly that we're to be holy as God is holy. Does everybody look at holiness as a good plan? Does everybody look at purity as a good thing? No, you know, you know what some people do? They, they look at God's plan for purity and they say, no way. Man, that's not good. That's not good for me. That's holding me back. That's, that, that, that's keeping me from something that's good. God's plan is for us to be sexually pure before marriage and to be faithful to our spouse to death. Let me tell you, not everybody sees that as a good plan. In, in the last couple of months, you know, you know what I've heard people say about that plan? I've heard, I've heard them describe it as three ways. Restrictive, impossible, and unrealistic. I've heard all three of those. This is, this is not good. This is unrealistic. Nobody lives that way today. Nobody stays sexually pure today. That's impossible. Nobody can do that today. You see, you know what they're saying about God's plan? God's plan is not good. That's what they're saying. The Bible says it's good. They're saying it's not good. God's plan is for a husband and a wife to stay married until death, not to divorce, to love each other through the struggles and hardship of life. About 50% of people at some point in their life say that's not a good plan. We're not going to do that. It's too hard. It's too painful. That's too long. God's plan is for children to obey and honor their mother and father. Now, that's a good plan. In fact, the Bible is very clear and says, kids, you do that, you'll live long in the land. You'll prosper. That's a good gift. You know what a lot of kids say about that? That's a ridiculous plan, okay? A lot of students would say, man, if I obey my parents, if I do everything they tell me, my life will be ruined. I've heard kids say that. My mom and dad are trying to ruin my life, you know? I'm going to be a geek, a nerd, uh, you know? Man, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to ruin my life if I obey. Looking at the same plan, one says it's good, one says it's not good. God's plan is for us to give generously to the kingdom of God. You know what some folks say about that? They say, no, that is impossible. That's impossible. I got all these bills. Look at them. Mortgage and, and car payment and kids college and boat payment and, and all of this. And man, you're telling me that God's plan is for me to give? There's no way. That'll hurt me. That'll take us out. Man, I can't do it. God's plan is for a wife to submit to her husband. All the ladies at Lincoln do that perfectly. We don't even talk about that one. God's plan is for you to love your enemy. It's for you to show forgiveness to those who hurt you. You know what a lot of people say about that? No way. No way. I'm not going to love my enemy. You don't know what that person's done to me. And and for me to do that would be to hurt me. they, they, They look at God's plan and say it's not good. And so one of the key issues of faith is this. Is God good and is his plan good? So you've got to decide that in your life. Here's, here's the way that Hebrews says it. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Okay? You're not going to please God without faith. Okay? Now some of you are asking, well, what exactly does that look like? Well, let's keep reading. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, that's crucial. That's crucial. 
If you're going to have faith, if you're going to walk in faith, you got to believe that. you got to believe, all right, God's a rewarder. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to live his plan. I'm going to follow him. And, and, and I'm going to do so because I believe God won't let me down. God is a rewarder. You see, if you don't have that conviction that God is good, that he gives good things, that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, you know what's going to happen? You're going you're gonna to come up against the test of faith. At some point, there's going to be a test to your faith. It was right here for the Israelites. It was the edge of the promised land. And God said, okay, here it is. Go, go, get your sword and go. And I will fight for you. I will give it to you. I will deliver you. And they got to the line and they got to the boundary. And they said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh, that's hard, God, that's hard. Taking fortified cities is hard. Going up against giants is hard. God, no, no, not there was the test. It was all fine and good until it was tested. And friends, let me tell you, your, your faith will be tested, won't it? God's going to ask you to do something hard. Students, God's going to ask you to do something hard. Senior adults, God's going to ask you to do something hard. He's going to ask you to do something uncomfortable. There's going to be a point in your life where being obedient to God and following God is going to demand something of you. Okay? And it's not going to be easy. And at times it's going to be scary. At times it's going to be outside of your security, outside of your comfort zone. And faith says, I know that God will care for me. I know he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And I'm going to step out in faith and God will deliver me. God will rescue me. God will, will give me what I need. And friends, we have every reason to believe that God will do that. They had every reason. You, you, know, you know why? Because God lays out for us his resume. You know, isn't that cool? You know what the Bible is? To some degree, the Bible is God's resume. You know, it's saying, hey, look, look at me. I, I'm, I'm pretty faithful. You know, look at what I've done. Look, look at what I've done for my people. Look at how I've, how I've lived. God's given us his, his history of faithfulness and we ought to trust him. In verse 29, that's exactly what Moses does for him. Here's what Moses says. He says, then I said to you, do not be afraid. Uh, do not be in dread of them. The Lord, your God, who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did in Egypt. You see what God does or what Moses does? He looks back. He says, guys, don't you remember Egypt? Don't you remember what God did? God sent all those plagues, you know, God, God did all those miraculous things. God delivered you out of Egypt. If God did that, don't you think he'll deliver you here in Canaan in the promised land? Verse 31. He says, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. He says, don't you remember how you were in the wilderness? You were hungry. God fed you with manna. You were thirsty. God gave you water from the rock. God cared for you. In fact, here's what God did. He carried you as a man does his son. You know, you know what Moses is appealing to? He's appealing to, to, to people who are, who are people of faith. And he's saying, man, don't you see in your own experience how God has cared for you? Couldn't we do that today? Don't you think we could do that today? Couldn't we have Fred Martin give testimony of, of his life, of how God has cared for him? Couldn't we have Bonnie Castro come up and give testimony in her life, how God has cared for her, how God has carried her? If you're a believer here today, you ought to be able to do that. You ought to be able to, to express in your life how God has been faithful. You ought to be able to take the resume of the Bible, and you ought to be able to take the resume of what God did for the Israelites, and what he did for David, and what he did for Moses, and what he did for Abraham, and what he did for Gideon, and what he did for Samuel, and what he for, it, for Isaiah and Jeremiah, you ought to be able to take all of that and combine it in your own personal life. And you ought to be able to say, but here's what God's done for me. He's carried me just as a man carries his son. How does a man carry his son? The, the picture in my mind comes of a hiking trip, okay? Uh, we, we hike a lot as a family. 
And here's what happens every time. We take off, and uh, Haven is our littlest one now. It's always the littlest one. Haven runs about nine steps, you know. Shoots right off out of the gate, nine steps down the trail, and then she turns around as we're walking. She does this, this backward walking thing, which to me is a lot more work than anything. But, like, we'll be walking together, and she'll just turn around. She'll go like this, you know, like up to me, like, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. And uh, here's what I do. I, I make her walk as far as she can walk. Uh, I don't pick her up right away. Um, I don't know if this is good parenting or not, but the last, the last time we, uh, we, I, I kept telling her, I said, no, honey, didn't you see the sign? No carrying your children. You know, and I kept telling her that I said, no carrying your children for 50 yards. She didn't know how, how far 50 yards is, you know, but anyway, I keep telling, no, nah, saw the sign. I think it's, it's just up here. I think we can pick you up, you know, and, uh, so anyway, I'll make her walk, you know, and, but, but here's the deal. I always pick her up before she, before she can't go anymore. You know, I make, her, I make her go as far as she, she needs to. If she's going to hike with us, she needs to learn to hike, you know. And so I don't make it easy for her. We don't like that, do we? We'd really like for God to make it easy all the time for us, wouldn't we? Let's be honest. We're like that, aren't we? We want God, God, just give me the easy. Give me the easy. No hard stuff. God doesn't do that. But you know what he does? He carries us as a man carries his son. You see, there's always a time where I can tell she's, she's getting pooped. And I swoop her up. I put her on my shoulders. I put her in our Kelty. You know, sometimes she even takes a nap back there on the, in the Kelty. Give her a snack. We always got water for her. That's what God does for you. Many of you would be able to look at God's resume and say, you know what? Man, he's been faithful to me. He's been faithful. You know, a lot of us would say, you know what? If I had, uh, if I had the, the, the stories of Israel, if I'd seen the red, can you imagine that? If I'd seen the Red Sea part, I'd trust him. Let me, let me tell you this. You got something better than the Red Sea, okay? You know what you have that they didn't have? You have the complete record of God's incredible history of faithfulness that culminates in the story of all stories. The story of God sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life and to die a, a horrific, suffering crucified death on the cross to pay your sin debt. And then God raising him from the dead. Victory over the grave. Victory over sin. Victory over death. And, and if God did that for you, do you think he's going to let you down tomorrow with your money? You think, if, God, if God sent his son for you, do you think God's going to let you down in, in, your, in your daily life? Here's what Romans says about that. Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. You see what Paul's doing? He's looking back. God didn't spare his own son. God gave Jesus for us. How will he not also with him? Now he's looking forward. How will he not also graciously give us all things? You see, we ought to be able to look back. We ought to be able to say, God has been faithful. God has been faithful in the Bible. God has been faithful to his people. God has been faithful to me. And therefore, I should trust him in the future. But Israel did not trust him. Bottom line, they didn't trust him. Bottom line, they, they, they were unbelieving. And, and it's interesting. You know how, the, uh, you know how unbelief, you know, you know how, how it manifests itself? Lots of different ways. Disobedience, uh, not following God, sin, okay? But, but here's, here's a great lesson, okay? Listen up, listen up, okay? If you've fallen asleep, fallen asleep time to wake up, all right? One of the first ways unbelief manifests itself is through murmuring. Okay? Look at verse 27. 
And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, and He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Did you, did you see that? You murmured in your tents. You, you know what the word murmured means? Murmured. I asked Michelle about this in the 830 service. She confirmed it. Murmured is an onomatopoeia. Say that with me. It's just a cool word. Onomatopoeia. Isn't that a great word? What it means is it's a word that means what it sounds like. Okay? What does murmuring sound like? It's what you do in your tent, right? Murmur. Okay? You murmur. You complain. You express your, your discontent with your situation. You express your discontent with what God has done, with what God has given, with what God will do. You, you express that you're just not happy about God, this whole plan. God, you've worked it out wrong. You've given me a bad deal here, God. That, that's what murmuring is. And whenever you see, I mean, here's just a great life lesson. And, and I, have, I, have, I have tested in my own life, and it has been 100% true. Whenever I find myself in seasons of murmuring, there's unbelief in my life. I am not trusting God for what God has done, for what he will do. Okay? So whenever you see murmuring, man, you, you know it's a sign. God, God commands us to love our spouse as Christ, our, our, our husbands, our wives as Christ loves the church. Whenever we find ourselves murmuring about our spouse, you know what that is? That's a sign of unbelief, okay? When God commands us to endure and be patient with difficult people, when we find ourselves murmuring, that's a sign of unbelief. When God commands us to turn the other cheek and forgive our enemy, when we find ourselves murmuring about the people in our life or the service, man, that's a big one. God commands us to serve. And when we find ourselves murmuring about our service, that is a big clue that we have unbelief in our lives. And I want you to notice the location. I don't believe anything in God's word is coincidental. In verse 27 says, And you murmured where? Where'd they murmur? In your tents. You see, a lot of times you don't murmur in public, you know. You have enough sense as believers. Sometimes sometimes we don't, actually. Let me take that back. If you've been on Facebook at all, you know that's not true. But most of the time, publicly, we won't murmur publicly, you know. Now, hardly anybody comes in their Sunday school class and says, Well, God stinks, guys, you know. I mean, I tell you what, this whole life of mine is just nothing but a wreck. And God's just not ever helps me. And he doesn't ever do anything good for me. And he just always lets me. I mean, hardly anybody will say that. Hardly anybody will publicly murmur. But you know what a lot of people do? do? They will praise the Lord. They will smile. They will get in the minivan. The door shuts. The, you think the engine turned on, but it, the engine didn't really turn on. It was, you know. It's murmuring, you know, it's, it's there, it's in, our, it's in private, it's in our families, it's, it's, with our, it's with our husband, our wife, our kids. That's when the murmuring happens. And here's what verse 27 tells me, we ought not be fooling anybody, God hears that. And God says, that's unbelief. It's unbelief. Now, am I saying we, we can't ever say something's bad? No, I, we, that's not, I think there's a difference, you know, someone crashes into your new car, you know, and, and you come out from, from shopping and your new car is a mangled mess. I don't think it's bad to say, boy, this is not good. You know, I mean, I mean, that, that's okay. You know what I'm saying? You know what murmuring is, right? It's that spirited discontent. Okay. And, and God sees that. And you know where murmuring leads, don't you? Murmuring always leads to an exaggeration of how bad things are. Murmuring never gets better. Have you noticed that? You, you ever take a car trip with your kids, you know, and about 50 miles into it, they start murmuring. That doesn't get better, you know. 
Uh, they don't murmur for like five miles and all of a sudden they're like, man, this is awesome. We're glad to be in the car, you know, and we just got that out of our system and now we're good, you know. No, it, it doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, it gets worse, right? I mean, pretty soon it's like, I'm going to die in here, you know. I mean, it just, it's exactly what, that's exactly what murmuring happens. I mean, it just gets, it gets worse. No, notice verse 28, verse 28. Where are, we, where, are we, where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we are. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Really? I mean, is that really the truth? Were the cities really fortified to heaven, you know? Were, were, were there really walls that extended into the sky as far as the naked eye could see? I don't think there was. Numbers chapter 13, here's the actual report of the spies. Verse 33, And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim, and we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers. Okay, you see how it's exaggerating, you know, first they're just tall. Now they're so tall that we're grasshoppers, you know, I mean, I mean, it's, it's exact. That's what murmuring does is it makes things worse. And, and pretty soon our unbelief gets worse and worse. And we begin, we begin to murmur. We begin to, to, to talk about God's, God's commands and God's plan as being ridiculous and unrealistic. And there's no way we could be expected to do this. Well, instead of murmuring, instead of exaggerating, the Israelites, what they should have done, they should have expressed faith in God. How is, how is faith in God expressed? A couple ways. Number one, it is always expressed in works. Okay? Now, listen, if you've got one of the, if you've got the kind of faith that all it is is words, let me tell you what the Bible says about it. It's dead. It's a dead faith. It's a useless faith. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Verse 18, someone says, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, when, we, when we're trusting God, when we're convinced that God is right, that God is good, that he will do what he promised, that will always result in us acting in following God in practical ways. And you know what always results in? It always results in courage. You know, if you, if you go through this passage, you see that over and over again, Moses warns them about fear, okay? Verse 21, go up, take possession as the Lord your God, uh, your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. He, over and over again, verse 29, then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. You, you, I can't tell you how many things in life, in your spiritual life, People disobey God with simply because they're afraid. They're afraid of how it will turn out. They're afraid of what people will think. They're, they're afraid that they won't be satisfied. They're just, they're just afraid. And, and faith will result in, in, in courageous works. Notice also verse 36. It's going to result in, in wholehearted obedience. Look at verse 36. It's about Caleb. Except Caleb, the son of Jephthah. By the way, Caleb's one of my favorite, favorite guys in the Bible. And you'll see why here in a minute. He shall see it. And to him and to his children, I will give the land on which he has trodden. Because he has wholly followed the Lord. Okay, if we go back into Numbers, here, here's, here's the report of Caleb. All the spies come back. Ten spies are like, this is tragic. This is a mistake. No way can we do it. Here's what Caleb says. Verse 13, or chapter 13, um, verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once. Okay, Caleb says, let's go now. Okay, it's a good land. Get your sword. Here we go. Okay, he's ready. And occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. In chapter 14, verse 8, he says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land. You notice he, he knows God's going to do this. 
and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear. There it is again. Don't fear the people of the land. For they are bred to us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Okay, Caleb is the type of guy that he believes God. And because of that, there's no hem-hawing. There's no wavering. There's no complaining. There's no murmuring. There's no deep sighs. You know what there is? Joyful confidence. Let's go. Let's go. Let's follow the Lord. God's going to take care of us. And let me tell you, here's the great thing about Caleb. This did not leak out of him as he got older. Okay? He didn't leak. He, Caleb had no leak in him. Okay? Listen, listen in Joshua, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I want to be this. If you pray for me, pray that I would be this. Pray that I would grow old and be this. I want this, okay? Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. And now behold, this is 45 years later after the first time that they go into the land. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old and I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. So now give me this land, give me this hill country, which the Lord spoke on that day. And you heard on that day how the Anakim, that's the giants, were there. With great fortified cities, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. Dr. Kirkendall sent me a video last night and it was on growing old in America. Man, it, it, it so shook me up that I, sh- I went in and made my wife watch it and my daughter. And, and I shut the computer and I said, let us pray right now that, that, we, that we grow old like Caleb. You know, you know what the American way is? The American way is you are risky and crazy when you're 18. That's, that's when you're risky and crazy. You go on mission trips. You, you attempt great things for the Lord. And then, then you have kids. And so you settle down, you know. And, and then really what happens to the American church is you're pretty active until your kids become teenagers. Boy, I see this. I see it in my own life, the, the tendency. Kids become teenagers. You know what you do? You throttle way back. You, you, you take your, your feet clear off the gas. This is what happens over and over again. You throttle way back. You kind of pull away from doing things for the Lord, serving for the Lord. You know, then you may throttle a little bit back up when, when the kids leave the house. But pretty much you stay at an idle until kind of retirement. And then, then I see two groups of people. I see two, two distinct groups. Some people shut the car off, you know. They just turn the car off. And they're like, all right, Jesus. We're ready. I'm ready to go to heaven, you know, but I'm not doing nothing else, you know. I'm going to live however long I'm going to live, and I'm going to face you just basically having done nothing recently. Then there's another group that go all out like Caleb. Man, I want to be in that group. I want to be in that group. And there's enough folks in the other group that I realize that it must be a hard thing, okay? It must be a hard thing. I don't think this is an easy thing. Uh, I think you got a lot of factors against you. Well, number one, your body starts breaking down, you know? Uh, you start getting weak, you start getting tired, you start having health problems, financial problems, your kids are a pain, you know what I mean? There's all kinds of things, you know, that begin to work against you. God, give me faith. I know that stuff had to be happening in Caleb. I know he says he's as strong as he was when he was 45, but something tells me that he's just expressing faith there. God, give me grace to be like Caleb. To serve the Lord to the end. You know, friends, I believe what the Bible says, that, that we live the Christian life by faith. Don't we? Day by day. 
day by day, moment by moment. I think, I think we're going to need faith as we walk to our cars to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to greet each other well. I think we're going to need faith when we go to lunch to, to, to have conversations with our family that we need to have conversations with. I think we're going to... I mean, what I'm, what I'm expressing to you is day by day, moment by moment, the Christian life is lived by faith. It's lived by trusting God that He is who He says He is. He'll do what He says He'll do. But, church, and don't, don't shut me out yet, listen, I, I also believe what we see here. You know what we see here? The Israelites had to live day by day by faith. Manna, every day. Water from the rock, okay? But there's a couple pivotal moments in their life. Isn't that true? There's a couple pivotal moments where they go one way or another. They either, they either go to God's time out for 40 years or they trust Him into the promised land. And I just, I don't know. I don't know this for sure. But I wonder if in everybody's life, are there a few of those? You know, are there a few of those really crucial times? Again, we live by faith every day. I understand that. Day by day, moment by moment. But are there, are there a few really pivotal times in our life that are going to define our lives? And we're going to go one way or another based on whether we trust God or we don't. Church. Could that be true for us as a Church. That there are pivotal times in the life of this church, maybe coming up, where we're going to go one way or another. We're either going to say, God, we don't, we don't think you could do that, or we're going to charge forward and say, God, whatever, we're following you. Man, that's, that's an interesting question, isn't it? You know, I, I see churches all over our country that are dead. And I, I wonder sometimes, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know. I wonder if there were pivotal times, you know, and it could be just that their population is declining. It could be, you know, lots of factors. But, but I, sometimes I wonder, man, God, are there pivotal times in the life of our church that we really need to make sure we're trusting you and we're stepping out into obedience? We're going to do the hard thing. We're going we're gonna to do the difficult thing. We're going to do the uncomfortable thing to follow you because we want what you have to give. We know what you've got is good. And God, we want it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, God, thank you for faith. And Lord, I, I see the Apostle Paul doing this all the time. And so God, I, I want to do it too. God, I, I want to pray that you'd give us faith, that you'd strengthen our faith, that you'd multiply our faith. God, right here this morning, just build up our confidence in Jesus, our confidence in God, our confidence in, in the things of God. Lord, build that up in us, God, so that we're full of faith. And God, when those pivotal moments come, Lord, help us. Help us to step forward and trust you. And God, help us to trust you day by day in the little things of life. God, help us to be believing. In Jesus' name, amen.